We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. WinBet is now live in all of these states, and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. From boosted parlays to live in-game offs on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit wynnbet.com to start winning. go episode 165 of the Al Galdi podcast it is Wednesday October 13th 2021 the day on which the two and three Washington football team will begin practicing for its game against the two and three Kansas City Chiefs at FedEx Field this Sunday afternoon at one if I would have told you back in August that Washington going into its week six game against the Chiefs would have the same record as the Chiefs you would have said wow that's awesome. What are we? Four and one, five and oh, oh no, two and three. And it's a two and three that at times feels like oh and five, although it's not oh and five, it is two and three. The Chiefs, by the way, on Tuesday placed running back Clyde Edwards Elaire on the reserve injured list. The Chiefs offense is banged up. The Chiefs defense is really bad. But of course, uh, Washington's offense is banged up and Washington's defense is really bad. Well, speaking of that bad Washington defense, I have a special guest for you on this installment of the podcast, Samuel Gold, the creator of Sam's Film Room on YouTube. He has well over 94,000 subscribers. He's a big Washington football team fan. He's going to give us a thorough X's and O's breakdown of Washington's oh-so-bad defense, as well as talk 
Taylor Heineke. As you may have noticed, one of the things that I've been doing on the podcast during this Washington football team season is each Wednesday having on the show a special guest who can illuminate us with his X's and O's knowledge of the Washington football team, uh, WFT analyst Mark Bullock former Washington tight end Logan Paulson, uh, Taylor Heineke's collegiate head coach, former Old Dominion head coach Bobby Wilder. Well, this week I have Samuel Gold for you. Looking forward to bringing that conversation to you. Uh, Now, before my chat with Sam, I am going to give you my thoughts on everything that's going on and that has come out regarding John Gruden, Bruce Allen, emails, the Beth Wilkinson investigation, Dan Snyder, And now even Jay Gruden, who on Tuesday revealed that he was never interviewed in the Wilkinson investigation. Huh? What? There is so much to go through. Oh, do I have some things to say about all of this? I will say those things next segment. Also, the Capitals, they begin their 2021-2022 regular season on Wednesday night. We'll face the New York Rangers at Capital One Arena at 7.30. Will there be a carryover for the two teams from last season's Tom Wilson affair? I'll preview the Caps season with Caps insider Tarek El-Bashir of the Athletic DC and now of TNT as Tarek is a contributor to TNT's coverage of the NHL. Are the Caps in danger of having a fall-apart season like the one that the Nationals just had? Or are the Caps still a legitimate playoff team? The answers to both of those questions may well be yes. Uh, If you're a Caps fan, I promise you, you do not want to miss my conversation with Tarek. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Email from Joel Charney on our two favorite pen pals via email, Bruce Allen and John Gruden. Writes Joel, hey Al, is there a bigger sleazebag on the planet than Bruce Allen? How do you like his correspondence with John Gruden? They were exchanging emails of semi-clad Washington Redskins cheerleaders while using gay slurs for the NFL commissioner. You can't make this stuff up. No, you can't, Joel. Uh, No, you can't. I'm going to discuss the situation from a Washington football team perspective next segment. Email from Mike P on the Washington football team and Ron Rivera. Writes Mike, is Ron on the hot seat if the WFT wins under six games? I think his seat would be very, very warm and major changes would have to come into play, not just with players, but with the coaching staff. Uh, thank you for the email, Mike. So to answer your question directly, uh, Ron Rivera would not be in danger of being fired were Washington to win less than six games this season. There would be pressure on Ron to win next season, but I don't think that he's in any danger of losing his job uh, after this season, barring something totally shocking going down. But a record of 5-12 and 12 or worse for this season would not be good. Uh, and of course, 5-12 and 12 is a possibility as with the 17-game regular season, you can go 5-12, and 12, uh, but not 5-11. and 11. Okay, we wound up 5-11. and 11. Not very good. Yes, thank you, Steve Spurrier. And no, 5-11 and 11 was not very good. So no doubt, 5-12 and 12 or worse would be very disappointing. Uh, I thought going into this season that there was a distinct possibility that Washington could be better this season than the team was last season, but the record would be worse because of the difficulty of the schedule. And it was interesting on Tuesday morning because Ron Rivera in his weekly appearance on the Sports Junkies on 106.7 The Fan 
made the comment of, you know, it's almost like it would have been better if 7-9 would not have been good enough to win the NFC East last season because that raised expectations for people. And, you know, Ron got hammered by a lot of people for saying what he said. I get what he said. Uh, If you have a problem with it, I understand where you're coming from. But I don't think Ron was saying, oh, I wish we hadn't won the NFC East. I think Ron was just trying to make the point of, you know, it's funny how last season ended up working out because it may have skewed the way that people view things. Bottom line to me, Ron should not give two you-know-whats about expectations and what other people think. It's all about what he thinks and what internally the organizational thinking is. But look, when it comes to the idea of the record being worse this season as compared to last season's record, there are limits to that. And what you don't want this season is some giant step back season. And defensively, that's exactly what we're in the midst of right now, a giant step back season. And this season does have some of the undertones of every other Washington football season that has followed a playoff season in the Dan Snyder era, okay? Understand what has happened after every Washington playoff season in the Dan Snyder era, a non-playoff season. And it's not just that. Two of the worst seasons of the Dan Snyder era have been seasons that immediately followed playoff seasons. 2012, Washington won the NFC East at 10-6. 2013, Washington went 3-13, and and Mike Shanahan got fired. 2005, Washington went 10-6 and and won a playoff game at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, what remains the last playoff victory for Washington. 2006, Washington went, wait for it, 5-11. Okay, we wound up 5-11. Not very good. Thank you, ball coach. And no, 5-11 was not very good. Well, I'll tell you something that is very good. Selling your home through John Grandland of Real Broker. And that's because John G offers commission flex. Listen up if you're looking to sell your home. John Grandland is changing the game with his groundbreaking concept of commission flex. You know how Ron Rivera loves to bring up position flex? Position flex. Yes, Ron, position flex. Well, John Grandland offers commission flex, flexible commission rates. Don't get locked into paying 6%, 7%, 8%. Forget that. You see, not every house requires the same amount of work or money spent marketing. So why should you pay the same fees? It doesn't make sense. It's never made sense. John Grandland will put a marketing plan together for you that will maximize your home's value and help you keep more of your hard-earned equity in your pocket. John Grandland has a menu of commission packages from which you can choose, including selling your home for free. Yeah, you heard that right. For free, zero commission. Some conditions do apply. But interviewing John Grandland is a no-brainer. He can come buy your house, give you a step-by-step plan on what to do to get top dollar, and maybe even more importantly, what not to do so you don't spend needlessly and there is never any obligation to list or sell. If you need to sell your home and aren't sure to whom to turn, if you've been trying to sell your home and you're not satisfied with how things are going, if you're even just thinking about selling your home, do yourself a favor and call John Grandlin. This is a phone call that could make and or save you tens of thousands of dollars. You have nothing to lose. John Grandlin is a great guy easygoing, terrific sense of humor, big Washington football team fan, but most importantly, he understands the real estate market in the DMV. Call John G. now, 
537-6747. When you talk to John G, make sure that you tell him that Al Galdi sent you and make sure that you ask John G about what you keep hearing about on the Al Galdi podcast, Commission Flex. That phone number again, 703-537-6747 or visit johngsellsforfree.com. That's johngsellsforfree.com. John Grandlin, nobody will do a better job of selling your home. And remember, he is the originator of Commission Flex. Position Flex. Yes, Ron. Just like Position Flex. Well, before we get to the first of our two special guests, Samuel Gold, the creator of Sam's Film Room on YouTube for an X's and O's breakdown of the Washington football team's defense and to Taylor Heineke, we must first discuss a non-football item regarding the Washington football team. We are never far from a non-football item with the Washington football team. And in this instance, the item has to do with something that we thought was done The sexual harassment scandal. Isn't it funny, by the way, that this pops up in this month of October, which is the NFL's annual Breast Cancer Awareness Month, the Think Pink campaign, the NFL's annual, hey, look at us, we're so concerned about women and women's health issues. Uh, Remember, Tanya Snyder is a breast cancer survivor and has been very active in breast cancer awareness, including helping to introduce the Think Pink campaign to the NFL in 1999. And don't get me wrong, the Think Pink campaign has done a lot of good work, but the Think Pink campaign also has been about marketing the NFL to women and about trying to ease the reality that has been violence against women by NFL players for years. You're being naive if you don't think that the Think Pink campaign has been partly about marketing and public relations. So you're by now familiar with what has gone down with John Gruden. I had some scheduled fun with this on Tuesday's show, episode 164. John Gruden, of course, brother of former Washington head coach Jay Gruden, and wait till we get to him, uh, on Monday night resigned as Las Vegas Raiders head coach off multiple reports of John having used racist, misogynistic, and anti-gay language in emails with Bruce Allen during John's time as an analyst on ESPN's Monday Night Football and Bruce's time as a Washington executive. The emails were uncovered via the Beth Wilkinson investigation into workplace misconduct for Washington. It is the Washington football team-related aspect of the John Gruden situation that most interests me and I'm guessing many of you. The John Gruden controversy broke this past Friday when the Wall Street Journal reported that John had said in a 2011 email to Bruce that NFL Players Association Executive Director Demora Smith had, quote, lips the size of Michelin tires, end quote. What a beautiful thing to say about someone. Uh, but what put the John Gruden controversy over the top and truly led to his resignation was the report from the New York Times on Monday That report is what sealed old Johnny Boy's fate as Raiders head coach. The New York Times on Monday reported a number of things, including that, quote, Gruden exchanged emails with Allen and other men that included photos of women wearing only bikini bottoms, including one photo of two Washington team cheerleaders, end quote. The New York Times also reported that John emailed Bruce that NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell should not have pressured 
then St. Louis Rams head coach Jeff Fisher to draft, quote, queers, end quote, referring to former edge rusher Michael Sam, who was a gay player who the Rams took in the seventh round of the 2014 NFL Draft. The New York Times also reported that John used an anti-gay slur in several instances while referring to Goodell and used offensive language to describe some owners, coaches, and media members. All of this is terrible for all of the obvious reasons. Uh, I am not at all a believer in cancel culture. I want to make that clear. I am not some cancel culture freak, okay? I think that cancel culture is really bad. I think that cancel culture is really lame, okay? I, I think, like, the usage of the word canceled, like when people will tweet, uh, canceled, okay? That, to me, is so lame, okay? It's so beta. It's so namby-pamby. But John Gruden, as Raiders head coach, was, as the great Tony Kornheiser would say, a gots-to-go situation, okay? And put aside the morality of what John said. Just look at this purely from a business slash public relations standpoint. John Gruden, as Raiders head coach, was no longer good for business, okay? Whatever you think about what he said, that he said what he said in the emails from years ago, the bottom line is that John Gruden, as Raiders head coach, was no longer what was best for business for the Raiders and the NFL. And so John was out. John resigned. And so ultimately, the Beth Wilkinson investigation resulted in John Gruden losing his job as Raiders head coach, but of course did not result in Dan Snyder being removed as Washington owner, or even in Dan technically being suspended as Washington owner, even though the investigation was into a team for which Dan is the majority owner, and the investigation found all kinds of things. And Dan, in fact, emerged from the Wilkinson investigation, emerged from the entire workplace misconduct scandal, more powerful than ever before, because Dan, this past April 2nd, completed the buying out of his disgruntled minority partners, right? Dwight Shaw, Robert Rothman, and Fred Smith. It really is remarkable. Again, I hit on this on Tuesday's show. And so now what? Where does this go from here? Because the seal when it comes to the emails, has been broken by this John Gruden situation. You know when you're drinking and you don't go number one for a while, and then eventually you do go number one, and then you have to go number one again like five minutes later? Why is that, by the way, that you can hold it in for hours while drinking, but then once you go that first time after you started drinking, you have to go again like five minutes later? Anyway, we call that breaking the seal. This John Gruden situation has broken the seal on these emails. We had no idea that more than 650,000 emails were out there. We now know that. What happened with these John Gruden emails was that NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell, per the New York Times in that report on Monday, quote, instructed league executives to look at more than 650,000 emails, including those in which Gruden made offensive remarks. Goodell received a summary of the executives' findings, and the league sent the Raiders some of the emails written by Gruden, end quote. So again, now what when it comes to the Beth Wilkinson investigation, which concluded, as I'm sure you remember, in rather sketchy fashion. Remember, there was no actual Beth Wilkinson report 
that was released. The NFL on July 1st issued a lengthy statement announcing the outcome of the investigation, uh, which the NFL referred to as, quote, the workplace review of the Washington football team, end quote. But there was no actual Beth Wilkinson report that was released. We for months wondered about when the Beth Wilkinson report would come out. What ended up happening was that there was no Beth Wilkinson report. Uh, NFL lawyers in a conference call with reporters on July 1st said that due to the sensitivity of the investigation and concerns about confidentiality, it was best that the report be oral and not written. Okay, I mean, sounded shady. Uh, We do know that similar investigations and other lines of work have been handled this way, i.e., no written report. The outcome of the Beth Wilkinson investigation was twofold, right? The ramification announced by the NFL was Washington paying $10 million, which was to be, quote, used to support organizations committed to character, education, anti-bullying, healthy relationships, and related topics, end quote. The ramification announced by both the NFL in a statement and by Dan Snyder in a separate statement was that Tanya Snyder, who was named co-CEO just two days earlier, what a coincidence, imagine that, uh, was assuming responsibilities of CEO and overseeing all day-to-day team operations and representation of the club on all league activities, and that Dan, as he said in his statement, would be concentrating his time, quote, during the next several months on developing a new stadium plan and other matters, end quote. Kinda, sorta, sounded like a suspension of Dan, but of course, this was not an official suspension of Dan, and it has never been proven that Dan was, like, unofficially suspended. By the way, so this all came out on July 1st. We're now well into October. Does that not qualify as several months? Like, whatever this was for Dan, this non-suspension suspension that wasn't really a suspension, uh, it may well now be over, right? Because we're months removed from when this was announced. But anyway, here is the key question. How is it that emails that were damaging to John Gruden got leaked, but nothing that was specifically damaging to Dan Snyder or any past Washington employee really was leaked? Again, the investigation was never supposed to have anything to do with John Gruden, and yet he ended up losing his job. And I'm not telling you to feel sorry for John Gruden, but the truth is that he ended up being collateral damage. And the guy whose team was being investigated and who himself had been accused of stuff, Dan Snyder, aka Danny Boy, aka the Danny, wasn't technically suspended and in fact emerged from everything more powerful than ever before. Why is it that these John Gruden emails got leaked, but nothing, and I mean nothing, has been leaked regarding Dan Snyder or really any past Washington employee. I mean, I guess you have to say that emails regarding Bruce Allen were leaked, although he is more collateral damage than what has happened with John Gruden. And of course, the answer to all of this is that the NFL leaks what it wants to leak, okay? Again, what happened with these John Gruden emails was that Roger Goodell, per the New York Times, in that report on Monday, quote, instructed league executives to look at more than 650,000 emails, including those in which Gruden made offensive remarks. Goodell received a summary of the executive's findings, and the league sent the Raiders some of the emails written by Gruden, end quote. So the John Gruden emails were either leaked by the NFL or by the Raiders, but the John Gruden emails were leaked. Why? Hard to say. 
Maybe the NFL wanted to get ahead of this before it became a thing, and so the league itself leaked the emails. Maybe some whistleblower with the league or the Raiders leaked the emails. Maybe an enemy of John Gruden with the league or the Raiders leaked the emails. But we now know that the emails exist. And we now know that among the emails was one with a photo of two Washington team cheerleaders only wearing bikini bottoms. This pretty clearly is a photo from one of those Washington cheerleader calendar shoots that became such a focal point of the sexual harassment scandal. So take that a step further. Who initiated the emailing of that photo, right? Who had that photo on his hard drive and then clicked on the little icon for attachment to the email and then put that photo as an attachment to the email and then click send to old Johnny Boy Gruden? Well, seems logical to think that Brucey would have been the one on the email chain with access to such a photo, right? So are we not left to think that Brucifer himself emailed out a photo of two Washington team cheerleaders only wearing bikini bottoms? Yes, the same Brucifer who on October 7th, 2019, hours after firing Jay Gruden as Washington head coach, said the following. You know, the culture is actually damn good. Yes, Brucey, the culture, the culture is damn good. You know, the culture is actually damn good. Absolutely, Brucey. Who could possibly have thought otherwise? But what more might be among these 650,000 plus emails? How extreme, how outlandish, how preposterous did things get with the toxic Washington football workplace culture? We don't know. But we're for darn sure wondering now. We just learned of these emails, learned of the contents of some of the emails, and now we are curious about the rest of the emails. Again, the seal has been broken. We just went, and we need to go again. Will the rest of the emails be released? Mm, I'm not holding my breath, okay? The reporting as Tuesday went on was that the NFL has no plans to release the rest of the emails. And for all of the yelling and screaming from people that the rest of the emails need to be released, uh, I don't think that's going to be happening here, okay? I would love for that to happen. I'm not holding my breath. You know, we on Tuesday had multiple reports that the NFL Players Association planned to request that the NFL release the rest of the emails. That's fine and dandy, but the NFLPA never gets over on the league. If you think that the league fears the NFLPA, especially with these emails, think again. The NFLPA may be the weakest of the four major pro sports players associations in U.S. sports. If the NFL made sure that there wasn't even a written Beth Wilkinson report, what makes you think that the league is just going to give in to some pressure now and release the rest of these emails? We're in the middle of an NFL season. These owners are gangsters. They don't want to disrupt the season. They don't want people reading about some of the league's deepest, darkest secrets. And the owners know that the news cycle moves at lightning speed, especially as we're in the middle of the NFL season. I have a saying for this stuff. Today's outrage is tomorrow's forgotten topic. All the NFL has to do is hold on for a few days, not release the emails, and the outcry to release the emails will die down. But man, what is in the rest of of these emails. You know, I had an official Redskins email for years. Uh, Red Zebra, a company for which Dan Snyder 
was the majority investor, owned 980 for 10 years, 2008 to 2018, did a great job of running the station into the ground. And then the next owner, Urban One, was even worse. But my work email address during Red Zebra's time owning the station was GaldiA at Redskins.com. That was my work email for years, GaldiA at Redskins.com. That's how your work email worked when you worked for the Redskins. Last name, first initial, at Redskins.com. So I'm sure that Brucey's email address was B at Redskins.com. Are any of my emails among the 650,000 plus emails? Do I need to be nervous? Uh, actually, all that would be found with my emails uh, would be a bunch of segment ideas and notes and a bunch of press releases uh, from the Skins, Nationals, Orioles, Capitals, Wizards, Maryland. I got nothing to hide, people, unless you count essays that I did on Kirk Cousins at his DVOA. Uh, but anyway, uh, so two more things. Did you see what Jay Gruden said on Tuesday? I could not get over this. Jay Gruden said that he was never interviewed by Beth Wilkinson. Yeah, Jay Gruden said this on Tuesday afternoon on Russell and Methurst on the Team 980. Jay said that he was never interviewed by Beth Wilkinson. Take a listen. We start with the question from Chris Russell. Obviously, this investigation went on. Um, were, were, you, were you questioned by Beth Wilkinson? How, how did that go? And what, if so, what was your experience? And you don't have to tell us what you were asked, but I mean, or what no, you said. No, I haven't been questioned at all. I don't, know, I don't even know what the heck is really going on. Once I mm. was let go out of there, I just was let go, and I just kind of backed so away. So they never approached you in, in any sort of way no. for your evaluation of the culture or the, or the toxic workplace, as it was called? No. No. Oh, okay. Wow. How about that? Jay said that he was never interviewed in the Beth Wilkinson investigation, nor was even approached about being interviewed. Now, it's possible that Jay was lying. It's possible that Beth Wilkinson asked Jay to be interviewed and he refused. Keep in mind, Beth Wilkinson did not have subpoena power for her investigation. But what does it say about this investigation if, in fact, it's true that Jay Gruden wasn't interviewed? The same Jay Gruden who was Washington's head coach for five-plus seasons. The same Jay Gruden who, according to former Washington running back Capri Bibbs, hooked up with the same Washington employee with whom Bibbs hooked up. Yeah, that was a thing, allegedly. What does it say that that Jay Gruden wasn't interviewed in this investigation into Washington's workplace culture? What does that say about this investigation? And let me make clear, I'm not necessarily besmirching Beth Wilkinson because she may have tried to interview Jay and been shut down. I mean, Beth Wilkinson is not a dummy. Did she really not think to interview Jay Gruden? Uh, if she did, that opens up a whole other Pandora's box of questions. But I can't imagine that Beth Wilkinson didn't want to interview Jay Gruden. So why wasn't Jay Gruden interviewed? What are we talking about here with this investigation? You know, the Beth Wilkinson investigation, for as long as it took, for as much money as it certainly cost, did not result in an official suspension of Dan Snyder, did not prevent Dan from buying out his disgruntled partners, did not prevent Dan from making Tanya co-CEO, did not result in a written report, and now we learn did not even include an interview of Jay Gruden, at least according to Jay. 
I made this point back in July immediately following the outcome of the Wilkinson investigation. And I will make this point again right now. Dan Snyder won. He won big time. First off, happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Yes, Danny. Happy Thanksgiving. Dan Snyder won. He is laughing at all of us with how unscathed he has emerged from all of this. He won for all of the outrage, for all of the columns, for all of the talking heads yelling and screaming. Dan Snyder won. He got over. He won and everyone else lost. And he is laughing at every single one of us right now. There's also this too. Do you know that it's believed that Dan Snyder doesn't use email? Dan Snyder in August 2014 told Chick Hernandez, who was then with what was known as Comcast Sportsnet Mid-Atlantic, that he, Dan, did not use email or social media. Now, that doesn't mean that Dan didn't or doesn't have an email address. And perhaps he looks at email, but just doesn't write emails. But the point was that he did not communicate with people via email. So for all of the talk right now of release the emails, release the emails, there may well be nothing in them on Danny, or at least nothing significant on Danny. Danny Boy, for all of his faults, may well be brilliant in this regard, not using email. There may well be no paper trail for the Danny, to whatever extent a paper trail might have revealed anything. But there was a paper trail for John Gruden. And so he, like his brother Jay, now has lost an NFL head coaching job, thanks in no small part to the toxicity of Washington football. Unbelievable. Well, hopefully things are better now for Washington football in terms of the culture. Although with this Ryan Vermillion situation, who the heck knows if things are any better with the culture? But the hope is that Ron Rivera is in fact leading a much needed change of the culture. Now, Ron last year, of course, dealt with skin cancer, uh, dealt with squamous cell carcinoma. Did you know that skin cancer is the most common of all cancers? In fact, skin cancer accounts for nearly half of all cancer cases in the United States. If you have concerns about your skin, if you're dealing with skin cancer, if you have had skin cancer and haven't seen a doctor in a while, always know that Dr. George Verghese in the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland are there for you. Dr. Verghese is a board-certified dermatologist at Mohs Surgeon. He is one of the nation's premier dermatologists. He's a big Washington football team fan and listener of this podcast and operating under his direction is the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland. The Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland diagnoses and treats a broad range of acute and chronic skin conditions, including skin cancer. Dr. Verghese and his team offer state-of-the-art treatments for skin cancer, including something that's a game changer, superficial radiation therapy, or SRT. SRT is an alternative to surgical procedures for basal cell and squamous cell skin cancers. SRT is safe, effective, and non-surgical. You see, having skin cancer doesn't mean having to have surgery and the downtime and side effects, cosmetic and otherwise, that come with surgery. You have options. SRT is an option, and Dr. George Verghese in the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland offer the option of SRT unlike many other dermatology practices in the area, and SRT is covered by most insurances. To find out more, call 
301-301-3401. Make sure you tell them that Al Galdi sent you. That phone number again, 301-396-3401. Or visit MidAtlanticSkin.com. That's MidAtlanticSkin.com. Dr. George Verghese in the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland, nationally recognized for treating skin cancer across the Mid-Atlantic region. Our two special guests are coming up. Samuel Gold, the creator of Sam's Film Room on YouTube, he's going to give us an X's and O's breakdown of the Washington football team's struggling defense, as well as talk Taylor Heineke. And then Capitals insider Tarek El-Bashir of The Athletic DC and now of TNT will preview the cap season, which will begin on Wednesday night. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right. Very pleased to welcome to the Al Galdi podcast right now a special guest, Samuel Gold, the creator of Sam's Film Room on YouTube. He has well over 94,000 subscribers. He's a big Washington football team fan. Recently did an excellent breakdown of Washington's defense, was featured on Hogs Haven. You can follow Samuel on Twitter at Samuel R. Gold. Uh, Sam, it's great to have you on, man. How are you? I'm doing great, Al. How are you doing? Doing well. Appreciate you coming on very much. So before we truly get going here, for those uh, unfamiliar with your work, how'd you get started in doing these film breakdowns? Uh, it's, it's a really good question. Um, I actually got started uh, back back during the RG3 era, and that was uh, back in around 2013 when I started trying to figure out 
you know, what exactly was wrong with our team and what was wrong with RG3 at the time or if Kirk Cousins should have started. Um, and so that kind of led down to a spiraling of reading a ton of books, uh, listening to, you know, Cooley and Kevin and back, you know, back in those days and trying to get my hands on any sort of film to figure out what exactly was wrong. And from there, I just uh, kind of just took off in my mind on uh, I just wanted to keep learning more and more about football. And that's where I started the Sam's Film Room on YouTube. And that's where I'm now. Yeah, and it's been a great success, so congrats on that. So with the Washington football team's defense, not so good so far this season, what do you have been the principal problems? Ah, man, that's a, that's a good question. Uh, for me, the main problem with the Washington football defense is the coverage. And I know people have talked about the pass rush. I know people have talked about uh, you know play calling and all that. For me, it, it comes down to execution. The coverage responsibilities and how they pass off routes and zone coverage and then individual mistakes in man coverage, especially when they go to either cover two man or uh, cover one robber with one deep and one in the middle. Uh, it's all been bad. And it's there's just so many individual mistakes uh, that it makes it very hard to run any sort of game plan if you're, you know, if you're a fan of Jack Del Rio or not. Uh, just simply put, if, if, you, if your team can't execute basic assignments and there's so many miscommunications as we just saw in the New Orleans Saints game and really any other game this season, uh, you just it's really hard to run just any standard defense and they just can't do that right now. Who are the major culprits when it comes to Washington's bad pass defense? Who are the guys who deserve the most blame? <laughs> That's a good question. I don't want to anger too many people. Uh, but for me, I mean, in the first first four games before his injury, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to point a finger at John Bostick. And I, I feel bad for the dude because he got injured. Uh, but he just really wasn't up to stuff this year. And, um, and, and that's, it's unfortunate because I, cause I liked his game a lot coming. I think he came out of Florida, and I, and I liked his game back then. Uh, the other guy, Landon Collins. I mean, he is a player that's getting paid a ton of money, and he's not playing well. It's, it's, not, even a, it's not even a question at this point that he's not playing well. And it's, it's really unfortunate because he's one of those guys that – I thought could be that, you know, that Swiss Army knife, the guy that can cover a tight end in the slot, that could play some strong safety, that can play in a hook curl zone or really anywhere on the defensive line blitzing or anything like that. And he just hasn't been good enough for this team. Um, and the third guy I'm going to point to is, is William Jackson. Um, he's one of those players that I really liked coming out. I, came, I think he came from the Bengals, right? Um, he was one of those players that I really liked when they signed him. And I thought that he would be a perfect fit in terms of this defense, but he just hasn't been good in zone. He hasn't been good in man. And that was, that was his main thing that he was brought into play and he just hasn't been good enough. Um, and really it's, it's, I think it's a combination of, I think it's a combination of a bunch of players that aren't performing well enough. But um, if I had a point to the, you know, if you're looking at number of snaps and uh, how poorly they've been kind of playing on those snaps, I, I, I think it starts there. Ron Rivera, at his day after the game Zoom press conference on Monday, said that he is sticking with Jack Del Rio as Washington's defensive coordinator is sticking with Washington's defensive scheme. To what extent, if at all, are Washington's defensive problems on coaching and scheme? I wasn't really going to blame Jack Del Rio until when 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 Landon when the landing calls came out and said uh, that we weren't uh, they weren't told to jump for the ball or whatever the whatever the quote was. Yeah. Uh, I just that 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 left a horrible taste in my mouth, and and maybe and maybe he's just saying that <clears throat> it's it's really hard to say. 
I uh, so in, initially I I didn't put too much fault into Jack Del Rio because I thought you know what maybe they can play more man coverage, but I just kept seeing man coverage bus. Uh, maybe you know may, maybe they could have blitzed a little bit more to help out in order to in order to finish a sack here or there. But honestly, um, and I think we're at this point where when you have this many miscommunications per week, you have to start looking at the coaching staff and you have to start wondering, you know, why why is this such a big problem? And you you can't consistently let what did Ron Rivera say four to five mistakes a game. That's it's happening every single week, and we just we just can't keep seeing that. No doubt. We're talking Washington football team with Samuel Gold, the creator of Sam's Film Room on YouTube, big Washington football team fan. It's a tricky deal because to me, Jack Del Rio deserves a benefit of the doubt. I mean, he has presided over a number of good defenses over the years. Washington's defense last season was good. I know people bring up the opposing quarterbacks and that's fine, but those opposing quarterbacks weren't the only reason that Washington's defense was good. And yet we're seeing what we're seeing so far this year. When you hear people talk about, well, this is a talented defense, are we overestimating the talent? Or is this, in your opinion, still very much a talented Washington defense? I think, I think for me, it comes down to the fact that we're, we're talent-centric on one position, our defensive line. I think that if they are not performing at the, the highest levels consistently, which is what they haven't done yet. And and most of them actually did a really good job in the Saints game. And, and they've created a lot of pressures and a lot of hurries. Uh, but and, and, and as we all know, sacks are one of the most fluky stats out there in terms of in terms of when you actually get them. And they're not consistent year over year. Um, I think that's the issue is that our talent is very centered around our defensive line. Our linebackers just aren't good enough. Our safeties just aren't good enough. And our cornerbacks just aren't good enough either. And I'm a huge Kendall Fuller fan, and I again, I really liked William Jackson, um, and again, I really like Landon Collins. But none of those guys are performing to what we need them to perform, and you can't expect the defensive line to create a sack or you know multiple pressures, you know per you know pressure every other play in order in order to to give them a breathing room. Um, it, it has to go both ways, and I, I think that's the issue. Is that I think overall their net talent is relatively high. It just were too centered in one position, which is the defensive line. Would you make personnel changes on defense? Some moves in the secondary have come up. DeShazer Everett has yet to play on a Washington defensive snap this season. Jeremy Reeves isn't even on Washington's active roster right now. Sounded like you would play Landon Collins less. What personnel changes would you advocate for? It's hard to say with Shazier Everett, and it's hard to say with Jeremy, Jeremy Reeves, who, who again, who, who both both played pretty well last year. Um, it's hard to say why. Like, I don't, I don't actually know why they aren't getting the snaps yet. Uh, but I, I don't think it would hurt. I think we're at this point where we need to try more, uh, more of them. And also, my other question is, what happened to Jamin Davis uh, after uh, John Bostic got injured? I expect him to play, you know, thirty to forty snaps last week. He played what thirteen. I, I don't understand that decision, um, and it's for me. For me, I want to see more Jamin Davis because this is one of those years that we have to see what we have in our rookies, and and I and I feel I feel like we 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 need to mix it up in terms of the secondary a little bit too. You mentioned the defensive line. I agree with you. I do think that Chase Young played well in the loss to the Saints. But what's your overall evaluation of Chase Young so far this season? Uh, he's a little bit he's a little bit reckless this year. I think that. Uh, I think that he's focusing too much on hitting the edge in terms of his speed rushes, and he and he isn't completing those pass rushes to get. He isn't finishing the moves to get back inside. 
for example, his strip sack, uh, the, the sack fumble that he created in the Saints game, that was an excellent use of a speed to power move. And then he broke back inside and, and shedded that block in order to beat inside to, to make that tackle and make that sack. That's something we haven't really seen this year. Uh, we've seen him do a, a speed rush around the edge where he flies, you know, nine to 10 yards past the line of scrimmage. Um, and we haven't seen him be able to cut back inside or, or, or use that move in order to create more and more speed to power moves or anything else. Uh, last week, though, he was incredible against, against the Saints and, and even, and even in his Falcons game when, when he only had, I only have him as one pressure counted. I thought he was pretty decent. And, and, and against the Saints, he was incredible. And I'm hoping this is the, the new emergence of, of Chase Young, and I'm hoping we see more of it. Uh, but he's, he's got to be able to finish those plays. And, and again, sacks are fluky, and we can keep saying that. Um, but it, at the end of the day, it, we, we need to see more production. So Ron Rivera so often this season has brought up guys being out of position, guys not adhering to the defensive scheme. It sure has felt like Chase Young has been one of those guys. Have you seen that on tape, Chase Young being out of position? I'll say this. I, th- I, th- I think he's, I think Chase Young is more right than wrong. Um, but I mean, I, th- I, th- I think it comes down to, I think, I think everybody kind of makes mistakes and I think sometimes he might lose his leverage and run. Um, or, or, or hit the wrong shoulder if you're, you know, if you're covering a uh, wide zone and you're trying to get, if Chase Young is the edge defender on the strong side towards the play, may, may, maybe he doesn't always hit the edge properly. Uh, and and may, maybe undercuts it and takes the wrong gap. I, I've seen that a couple times, but at the end of the day, I think, I think he's more right than wrong. Uh, but obviously if, if, you, if you're going to just look around the entire team, everybody just needs to be, play, everybody needs to play better. Yeah, I think it's very very safe to say that. What are your thoughts on how Montez Sweat has played so far this season? Yeah, uh, that's a really good question. Uh, Montez Sweat was he's, he's one of those guys that when he finally discovered the fact that he has power, and this this came last year, was that he seemed to always do this the speed rush or, or or do other moves that that didn't necessarily fit his skill set. The moment he he figured out that he had, he had that one arm bull rush. Uh, you know, he, he lit it up last year and that's, and that's one of those things that I think if he can consistently set that up, uh, not taking chop steps before, before he does his rush, this just does a one, two hits up the field instead of doing the hesitation steps that I know both him and Chase Young both like doing. Um, I think he's a very, very talented pass rusher. Um, in terms of how he's playing, I think he's playing pretty decently. Um, he doesn't have, you know, the necessarily the, the, the flashy, Sack numbers or stats that you know that that we need or 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 that you'd expect from a like a highly talented first round player at, at this exact moment, but he has the pressures and it and it's and to, to me I th- I think I think the more this defensive line plays together and, and comes back into uh, comes back into what what they're good for and and and, and gets better at just the fundamental uh, hitting the gaps properly and and using their pass rush sequentially I th- I, th- I think he's gonna be fine. All right, let's talk Taylor Heineke. Everyone has an opinion on what he is, what he isn't, what he can be, what he can't be. You study this stuff. Where are you with Taylor Heineke? At this moment, uh, the Bills game and, and the Saints game uh, really, really stood out to me. <clears throat> and I was, I'm, a huge, I'm a huge fan of his story. I'm a huge fan of what he did against the Bucks in the playoffs last year. I'm a huge fan of what he did against the Giants in Week 2. Uh, the issue I saw was that, A, we all know that his arm 
is is not perfect. He's not he's not he doesn't have upper tier or even above average arm strength. He's a very athletic guy. He's usually pretty accurate. He usually throws with good anticipation. Uh, but the fact that he trusts his arm so much to take to remember the the deep out route uh, to Terry McLaurin that was broken up by the sideline. Yeah, uh, he trusts his arm too much to make that throw when that ball a should have been released earlier. Um, or, or it had to be placed further outside, or, or with more arm strength, and and some of his passes just kind of float a little bit. And and the thing is that I'm not anti Heineke. I just I I don't know. I don't I don't think at, as of this exact moment that we have a franchise quarterback. Even though I I want to believe I want to be on the Heineke hype train. Did it seem to you like it seemed to me like Heineke was late on a lot of throws in the loss to the Saints? Like, we had seen inaccuracy previously. We had seen interceptable passes previously. I don't know that we had ever seen Haneke as late as he was on so many throws in that game against the Saints. Did that jump out to you? Yeah, um, that interception, and in, I think it was in the fourth quarter, um, it was. Uh, it looked like a cover three drop eight. I would need to relook at it because the ult-22 is not out yet. Uh, where he threw the double coverage, and it was one of the easiest picks I've ever seen from a defensive lineman, or uh, I think it was a linebacker that picked it off um, on the near, near the sideline. And he he was late. His decision making his decision making was poor. Uh, yeah, I mean, for some reason, his timing just seemed off in this game. And I'm hoping that next week that's not the case. But he was very late in terms of how he's processing things, and he seemed like he was looking first for the the first or second read, and then he was starting to run. And I feel like once he started running and picking up yards, he started relying on that, and he couldn't get back into his consistent uh, read progressions and throws. In watching tape of the Washington football team so far this season, what have you liked? Uh, Who have you liked? Who have stood out to you in a positive way? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, We can start with the defense because that's where we were already kind of going on. Uh, Jonathan Allen, you know, he is killing it this season, and he's one of those players. He, he's he's currently playing probably the best I've ever seen him play. Uh, so Jonathan Allen is one of those guys. Uh, Tim Settle is actually playing pretty well too, and I and I also think Matt Ioannidis, like when he's not injured and he's and he's getting his snaps, I think I think they're both they're both playing very very well. Um, so I would say those are probably my top three players on the defense uh, from the offense. Uh, Scary Terry, or uh, I don't know, he goes by the captain now. Who I'm not really sure on the nicknames anymore. Uh, but Terry McLaurin, he's he's playing exceptionally well, and he's probably probably the best player, uh, maybe even the best player on the entire team with with how well he's playing. Uh, I think he's playing really well. I think Charles Leno, uh, the left tackle, I, th- I think I think he was playing really well. Uh, Samuel Cosme was actually playing really well too. So I I think we have I think we have some talent, and I think we have some base level positions, especially on the offensive line. And hopefully Brandon Sheriff will be back. Uh, A, not injured, and maybe he'll sign long-term here. Uh, But I I think we have some talent. I think we really do have good positions overall. Uh, I I think that if we can get some more defensive backs, and I think that if we can get another wide receiver that um, unfortunately doesn't get injured, uh, at least least, I guess we'll see uh, whenever, uh, was it Curtis Samuels, whenever he comes back, um, then, 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 then we'll see a good variety of talent. All right. Samuel Gold, the creator of Sam's Film Room on YouTube, well over 94,000 subscribers, big Washington football team fan, excellent breakdowns of the Washington football team. You can follow Samuel on Twitter at Samuel 
our gold. Uh, Sam, it was great having you on, man. Thanks so much for coming on. Yeah, thanks, Al. I really appreciate it. All right, let's talk Capitals. The 2021-2022 NHL regular season began on Tuesday night. Caps will begin their 2021-2022 regular season on Wednesday night. Home to the New York Rangers at 7.30. Caps on Tuesday announced their season opening roster. It includes forwards Connor McMichael and Hendricks LaPierre. McMichael was the Caps 2019 first round pick. He's just 20. LaPierre was the Caps 2020 first round pick. He's just 19. Uh, There remains no more consistent playoff participant in Washington, D.C. sports than the Caps. Uh, They have made the Stanley Cup playoffs in each of the last seven seasons, in 13 of the last 14 seasons, and in 31 of the last 38 seasons. But the Caps have been ousted in the first round of the Stanley Cup playoffs in each of the last three seasons. Uh, The Caps do have a number of older players. Alex Ovechkin is dealing with a lower body injury. Nicholas Backstrom is beginning the season on the long-term injury list, meaning that he'll miss at least the first 10 games of the regular season, this due to ongoing rehabilitation on his hip. The Caps have major goaltending questions with Ilya Samsonov and Vitek Vanacek, who this past offseason was taken in the expansion draft for the Seattle Kraken and then reacquired by the Caps via trade. Uh, Samsonov and Vanacek form the youngest goaltending duo in the NHL. Lots to be thinking about if you're a Caps fan. And so I'm very pleased to welcome to the Al Galdi podcast right now, Caps insider Tarek El-Bashir of The Athletic DC and now of TNT as he is a contributor to TNT's coverage of the NHL. Tarek, it's great to talk to you. Congrats on the new gig. How are you? Thanks, Al. I appreciate it. Uh, really excited about the new gig. Uh, in addition to covering the Capitals on a daily basis for the Athletic, uh, it's going to be busy, but I'm looking forward to it. It should be a lot of fun. All right. So you have joked with me in the past of how every year you ask and write about the window for these caps potentially <laughs> closing. <laughs> uh, it's something we all wonder about. And so I ask you, is the window closing? Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, it, it's not closed. Uh, it's probably propped open by about, I don't know, an inch or two right now. Um, a, a long and cold winter is coming. I don't think it's on our doorstep just yet. Uh, I, I still think there's enough talent and pride and depth on this team, not to mention the Metro division didn't get a whole lot better Uh for, for them to scratch and claw their way back into the postseason. And we all know how the NHL playoffs work. I mean, all you have to do is get in the tournament, get a hot goalie, get some breaks, get the right matchups, and you can punch through one more time. And I think that's what the Capitals' hope is this year. They're, they're clearly not as good um, as they were uh, two or three years ago, but I still think they are a top 10 team in the NHL. What to you is the biggest concern for the Caps going into their season? Goaltending. <laughs> Without a doubt, uh, it, it, look, there is no position in pro sports except for maybe quarterback in football that plays such an outsized role in determining the outcome of games on a nightly basis than goaltender. You can have a very mediocre hockey team and a very good goaltender and you'll get into the playoffs um uh you know someone once joked with me they call it hockey but they ought to call it goalie Uh, (laughs) you know the the and right now the capitals have two guys who are still trying to find their way in the nhl and Ilya samsonov and vitek vanacek 
Um, there's some potential there, but they haven't done it consistently. Um, the preseason was a little rocky, uh, a little a little up and down. And if you combine that with a defense that lost Brendan Dillon and Zdeno Chara and is integrating some new pieces on top of an offensively geared team that doesn't exactly get great defensive effort from all of its forwards, eesh, that could be a problem. I mean, I do think this team is going to score over three goals a game. They just can't allow three goals a game or they're going to they're going to be in a world of hurt. So goaltending, um, that was my biggest concern last year, and it is once again for, 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 for me going into the season for the Capitals. Yeah, I mean, I thought it was so telling in August. The Caps re-signed Ilya Samsonov as a restricted free agent to just the one-year contract. You know, the Caps clearly want to see more before they commit to this guy. He has potential. We all get that, but he's been inconsistent both on and off the ice. Do you view this as a make-or-break year for Ilya Samsonov as a Capitals goaltender? You know, I think make or break might be a little dramatic, but he's certainly getting to the point now where he has to show that he can be a number one goaltender in this league. Um, and you're right, in football, we would have called a one-year, $2 million contract a prove-it deal. They don't quite call that an hockey, but that's what it is. The, the, the Capitals are saying, hey, we want to see more from you. We need to see more from you. You need to stay healthy and you need to be consistent and you need to perform up to the levels of a 1A goaltender to get that big contract. And the player is going, ah, you know what? I've been banged up. I'm young. I can be better. Let me get a one to let me sign a one year deal, outperform it, and then sign the big deal on the other end of this. Um, if it doesn't work this year and Vanacek Again, looks like he's a 1B, maybe a, a guy who can start here and there, but maybe not like your consistent uh, uh, top-level number one goalie. I, I think Sam Sonoff gets another chance, but depending on how it goes. I mean, if he's, if he's just not good, they might have to, uh, you know, ball up the piece of paper and start all over again. But um, I, I wouldn't say make or break, but he's getting close to it at 24 years old and the, the, the number of opportunities he's been given. With these Alex Ovechkin and Nicholas Backstrom injury situations, obviously the Backstrom situation is more concerning, but what's your sense on each guy from a health standpoint as the Caps' regular season is beginning here? Well, my sources have told me that Alex Ovechkin's injury is not serious. It's always concerning when you have a 36-year-old superstar who you know, missed some time at the end of last year with a lower body injury, and now he has another one on a, on a hit that didn't look all that um, uh, impactful. Uh, but that said, they do think he's going to be able to, to play uh, here in, in, in you know, the next little bit. He's going to push for opening night like he always does. He always wants to play. They may have to protect him from himself a little bit and pull him back for a few more days if he's not 100%. Remember that game late last season at Madison Square Garden where he thought he was good to go and he lasted all of one shift? That's kind of his mentality, his warrior mentality. I can overcome this. You know, I, I think the team is going to have to kind of look out for the long term here. Is this game one of 82? Um, Nicholas Backstrom's outlook is not is not great. Um, he's still rehabbing a hip injury that uh, he first 
injured in 2015. It's still, you know, which required surgery back then. Uh, it hampered him at the end of last season. During the offseason, he tried rehab one way and it didn't go that great. And so he's still rehabbing. He's seeing an outside specialist at the same time as the medical staff here at, um, at the Capitals. And, you know, he hasn't been on the ice much if at all, since the end of last season, I, I just don't see any way he gets on the ice probably in October. I, I mean, if he starts to get better and I'm told he is improving, he is getting better. It still takes time to get your timing right and get everything firing um, to the point where you can get back into an NHL game. You know, I'm thinking late this month, early next month. That's my best guess right now, Al. Wow. Uh, does that sound overly promising? We'll see. Were you surprised that the Caps did not trade Evgeny Kuznetsov this past offseason? Yes and no. Um, I, I do think that there is a faction of people in the front office who are like, dude, we've given this guy so many chances. We're paying him $7.8 million and we can't get a serious, consistent, every night effort out of this guy. What are we doing? But then... You know, I think calmer heads prevailed this summer a little bit. I, I, I think you look around the league and the top teams are strong right down the middle. They've got depth at center. And if you trade Kuznetsov, and from what I'm told, the offers that they were getting back um, in those conversations, and they didn't have many of them, but the conversations that, that did occur, they were being offered third-line guys. They were being offered draft capital, things that weren't going to help a team that has an aging cast of stars that has to continue to win now, that they were being offered things that would help them a few years down the road when the rebuild begins. And so you got to take all that into account. You know, you trade because that's all for a third line center. You already got a third line center in, um, in Lars Eller. You, the Capitals also already knew, even if we didn't, that Nicholas Baxter wasn't going to be ready to start the season. So that all went into the decision to, to hold on to him and, and not trade him. Um, you know, from, from everything I've heard, he's been exemplary through training camp. He came in incredible shape. Uh, he's had a good attitude. His head's in the right place. He doesn't seem like the persistent trade rumors all summer negatively impacted his, his, his mentals, as Marshawn Lynch would say. Um, so, look, I think he's eager to prove to people that he can still play at a high level. Um, I feel like we've heard that before and got fooled. So, you know, I'm, I'm kind of like, show it to me first, guy, and then I'll, maybe I'll believe it. But uh, uh, he's here, and they're going to need him. They're going to need him, and they're going to need Lars Eller, and they're going to need John Carlson. As long as Nicholas Backstrom is out, they're, and they're going to need Anthony Mantha, they're going to need someone to pick up the slack while Backstrom is out. And, you know, maybe if Ovi misses two or three games. And remember, it's a it's a tough go at the start of the season for this Caps team. So um, you can't make the playoffs in October, as they say, but you can miss them. So it's important that they get off to a strong start despite missing some key guys. We're previewing the capital season with Caps insider Tarek El-Bashir of The Athletic DC and also now of TNT. You brought up the Caps defense core earlier in our conversation. In your opinion, is there a realistic path by which the defense core is more good than bad 
this season? Or do you feel like the defense core is going to be an issue throughout this season? I think it's going to improve throughout the season, really, Al. Um, you've got Trevor Van Riemsdyk, who's a right shot. He's moving over to the left side. I, I know that doesn't sound like a big deal, but if, if you ever strapped on skates and played the game, <laughs> playing on the offside just complicates everything because you're not facing the play uh, in certain situations. You're trying to get the puck off the boards on your backhand as, as opposed to your forehand. It just makes it tough. Some guys can do it. Some guys can't. Dmitry Orloff struggles playing on his other side. Apparently, uh, TVR can do it. I think that with increased reps, he's going to get better and better um, playing on his offside. Martin Faravari looks like he's going to start the season in the, the, the top six uh, on defense. He's 22 years old. He's played six NHL games. There are going to be growing pains. There are always growing pains with young players, especially at defense. Defense is a little like goaltending in that it takes time to kind of get comfortable. Defensemen hit their NHL peak, you know, 26, 27. Uh, He's 22 uh, with with little experience. So I think it's going to improve. I, I think they got faster. Um, I think that was a thing that hindered them last year. All the leadership and toughness in the world that uh, Zadino Chara brought to the table, it was great, but he was old and slow, and they had to get younger and faster, and they did. Um, you know, one thing to keep out for is Michael Kipney. He, he uh, got sent down to the minor leagues. Um, not a rehab stint, but they're hopeful that he'll go down there after missing all this time with injuries over the past two years and rediscover his game. He didn't look great in the preseason. He is healthy. He just has to get his confidence and timing back. If he's able to come back up at some point, you know, I think that adds another dimension of speed, even though he's 31 years old, he still has wheels. So to me, I think the forwards are good enough. I think the defense is adequate. I think the goaltending, in my opinion, is still what I'm, what concerns me the most about this team. Yeah, trying to prevent the closing of the window for at least one more year. Tarek, always love talking caps with you, man. Thanks so much for your time. All the best to you. Anytime. Thanks for having me, Al. All right, that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Thursday's show, episode 166, will feature a lot on the Washington football team off the start of its practice week for Sunday afternoon's game against the Kansas City Chiefs at FedEx Field. We anticipate both Ron Rivera and Taylor Heineke speaking on Wednesday via post-practice press conference. Also, I will post-game the Capitals' regular season opener against the New York Rangers at Capital One Arena on Wednesday night. And I'll give you a Goldilocks pick for Navy's game on Thursday night. The midshipmen will be at Memphis on Thursday night. Have a great rest of your Wednesday, and I'll talk to you on Thursday. You know, the culture is actually damn good. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? 
Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.